0: Well, this is the time of the year. It's New Year's. You've got a little window in your life, last probably a couple of weeks, where you are establishing the routines and the rhythms of your life in this new year. And as we looked at that video, you know, some of it was kind of funny. Uh, you know, some people think they're perfect. I think they're living in an illusion. Everybody wants their health to be better, their family, smoking, anger, all those things. But one guy was profound in what he said. He said, I want to be the person God wants me to be. And didn't it just kind of feel like everybody else is living for themselves, which is kind of the world that we live in today? You know, how many know nothing wrong with health? Everybody should be healthier. Uh, Hopefully, you're blessed financially this year. Hopefully, anger doesn't define your life. I don't know if drinking is going to help. But, you know, all these things are a part of life. But there's a higher purpose. And that purpose is becoming the person God wants you to be. So this morning, we're going to talk together for about 35 minutes about change. Because how many know none of us are where God wants us to be? We may be headed in the right direction, but none of us are where God wants us to be, which presumes that there's some things that I've got to adjust, some things I've got to change. Even the most finely tuned machine, be it a car or whatever it is, every once in a while you just need to adjust it a little bit. If you've got a chainsaw and it's cutting wood, before you know it, the chain gets real loose and it'll fly off. You've got to take a screwdriver and just adjust that chainsaw to make it work right. Well, this is the time of the year where people are thinking about making changes in their life. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to tell you who to be. That's the privilege that you have in life, that you get to decide the big issues of life. You know, what's your career going to be? Who are you going to marry? You know, going to school, all these different things. God's given us free will. But here's what I'm going to provoke you to do is to become the person God wants you to be. Now, I can teach you from the Bible what the Bible says about how to get there. And if you're willing to do that this morning, we're going to look at three things together because it's not real complicated. If you want to become the person God wants you to be, that God created you to be. I see a little baby hiding over in the corner over here. And the Bible says in Psalms that before that child was born, his life, his days were written in a book. And God designed a life. Well, let me know, that's not going to automatically happen. Let me know we've got to cooperate with God to see that happen in our lives. Well, there's three things that we're going to talk about doing this morning. And here's the first thing. Number one, there's some things I need to stop doing. Can you say, stop doing? Stop doing. Yeah, everybody's got something. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, kind of two broad categories in Hebrews 12. So there's some things to stop doing. But guess what? There's also some things that I need to continue doing. In other words, there are what we're going to call spiritual disciplines. There's just a rhythm of life that if you will just live in a certain fashion day by day in your walk with God, the weekly things we do, they'll produce spiritual life and health. And number three is kind of a big global picture. It's about starting the right thing. Now, that's singular, and I'm going to talk about a focus of life that we're not just living for today, but we're living for eternity. So let's talk about change this morning. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So to become the person God wants me to be, let's let's begin at this starting place, and it's to stop doing the wrong things. Stop doing the wrong things. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses... Now, how many know chapter 12 follows chapter 11? Now, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews... is is basically a, a, a summary of the whole Old Testament. It probably mentions 25, 30 different believers that made a difference in their world. It talks about Abraham and Sarah and Moses and all these great litany of people. And it's a picture now that these that have gone before us as believing people are witnesses. And there's even a sense that maybe they can somehow look at us and see us at the race that we're running. But notice what it says. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that trips us up. So here's the first thing when we talk about what we'll stop doing, it's weights that slow us down and sins that trip us up. And let us run with endurance the what? The race that God has set for us. So the Christian life is like a race. But let's take it a step beyond that. Imagine the Christian life is like a shopping spree in Dallas. Well, how many know if you want to get to the you can't get to the right place by going in the wrong direction? All right? I think I've got about a third of you this morning. Okay, wake up here. should have gone to the cafe, got a cappuccino. You cannot get to the right place by going in the wrong direction. just impossible. You know, if you got together and you wanted to go shopping, you want to go to the Bass Pro Shop in Dallas, how many know you hop on I-30 and west you go? How many know you're not going to get to the Dallas Bass Pro Shop by going, uh, by going north on Highway 71? I mean, you're just going in the wrong direction. Well, it sounds kind of simple, and it really is. Now, let's stay with us on this. The Lord has a race to run. He's got a direction. He's got a place where we're supposed to be. God has a design for you in 2012. But let me tell you this up front. Satan wants to stop you. The Bible says that we have an enemy. He's, he's someone that wants to get in our way. He wants to get in our pathway. The devil is there wants to trick you. He wants to trip you up. The devil wants to make you stumble. He wants to do everything he can to get you off I-30 and get you going that way. He'd like to maybe even get you to go east on 30 and then take 71 going north or, or get off kind of at Decab, go somewhere else. Anything Satan can do to trick you, he will do. It's a picture. It's real, the unseen spiritual world. Well, let's look at these two broad categories of how he does it. One is weights that slow us down. Now, let me give you a definition. It's a good one in today's crazy world. A weight is anything that complicates our lives, consumes our time, or distracts us from most important. Now, let me say it again. A weight It's anything that complicates our life, it consumes our time, and distracts us from most important. It could be a consuming hobby. It could be a 24-7 job. It could be a garage that's full of, full of possessions. Now, let me say this. Weights are not sinful. We're not talking about, you know, the big bad sins. We're just simply talking about the complexities of life. We're talking about the busyness of the world that we all live in today. And the Bible tells us that it can pull you off track, off base from what God wants you to do. And, and let me kind of illustrate it this way. Because here's where I think the problem is. I think most people separate their life in their spiritual life and the rest of their life. In my spiritual life, I I go to church, I I go to a Bible study, you know, I feed in the homeless shelter. But in the rest of my life, I work a job, I'm working 50 hours a week, you know, I duck hunt every chance that I get, uh, I, I turkey hunt when I'm not duck hunting, you know. I mean, I do all these other things in my other world, and then I go back to my spiritual life and I do whatever I'm committed to time, and then I go back to the rest of my life. Let me suggest to you, it shouldn't be two separate ones. This rest of your life, your job, your hobbies, the everything else, should be a vehicle to extend the kingdom of God. Now think about this now. Do you realize that you can extend the kingdom of God even when you're duck hunting, which happens to be my hobby, obviously, I mean, I went yesterday morning with some friends and, you know, we didn't do any good, but we had fun. But before we know it, we're in the car together and we're having a little discipleship time. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about life. Well, guess what? And after we went to breakfast and after breakfast, there was an elderly lady and she said, can somebody put some air in my tire? And I said, well, sure, I can. After I put the air in her tire, guess what? I invite her to the church. I talked to her about her spiritual life for just a second. But, but see, because it's not Jesus and fun stuff. Jesus and Job, it's life together, and our whole life should be lived as a platform to extend God's kingdom. When you think about, you know, Tim Tebow, if I say the name Tim Tebow, everybody in America, literally, I mean, most people certainly know the name Tim Tebow. Why? It's because when he, as a football player, he has for his life, he has a gift. Now listen, I don't care how I, I used to want to be a, an athlete beyond where I ever arrived. But the bottom line, I was only six foot tall and skinny. And you know, you just can't do much with that. But this guy is gifted by God. Well, guess what? He has, in all his extra time, he's going to the weight room. Now listen, he's going to the weight room. He's going to football camps. They're spending extra money on it. And it would seem like, well, that has nothing to do with church. But it had everything to do with his unique ability to extend the kingdom of God. Because now, as a professional football athlete, and certainly in college, when something good happens, guess what he does? He gives God the glory. And the world looks on and laughs, and guess what? They can't pick him apart, because this guy is the real deal, and they hate it. He's not playing church, but he's used his life to extend the kingdom of God. So here's what I suggest to you. As you look at your life, it is complicated, it is overwhelming, but those things that bring you... Like Pastor Mike talked about, the car shows. Now, to me, I could care nothing about a car. I just want to get in the car, turn it on, and have it run. And the rest of the church said... But listen, he wants to work on them. And a few years ago, he said, Let's have a car show at church. And I thought, For what? Well, on Memorial Day, he'll have 50 cars parked out front and he's doing a little chapel for the car owners while we're in here doing church. Come on. And we, it, it's like what I'm passionate about is a vehicle for God. And that's what I want to tell you. If, if the things that are taking your time, your money, your resources are not doing something to extend the kingdom of God, either open the door to that or get rid of it because it's a, it's a weight. And all weights do is slow you down and tell your neighbor, you need to get rid of them if the weight is slowing you down because you'll never get where God wants you to go. Now, let's look at this next one. Not only, again, in Hebrews, it said, strip off the weights that slow us down and the sin that so easily, notice that word easily, trips us up. Now, again, weights are not not necessarily things that are wrong, though they could become wrong if they become an idol in your life. How I many no, sports can become an idol? Duck hunting begin become an idol. Whatever you do, it can become an idol in life. But in and of itself, it's not evil. Now, sin, on the other hand, is not a term that the world speaks about. The world doesn't even know what to categorize as sin. And you think about this whole affair with Coach Sandusky at, at Penn State. On the one hand, we're in horror of a man that had abused children, systematically, young boys, for decades of his life, destroyed Coach Paterno's reputation, the reputation of Penn State, but on the other hand, our nation is doing everything it can to push homosexuality, and we get confused in the middle. You know, we say, well, it's it, 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 sexual, sexual purity. How about adultery? Well, that's okay, but it, it wasn't okay for Bill Clinton. The whole world rose up, you know, when the Monica Lewinsky thing came out. But then when all the folks on the liberal side realized, well, he stands for abortion. And and, and so we, we, we may not like that, but, but we're, we're not going to throw him away. So the world is just confused. It's a lot of things. But in the Bible, listen, the Bible teaches there's right and there's wrong. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to use what the Bible calls sin, those things that are against God, those things that are pulling you away from God. We, that's something that we need to get rid of because you'll never get to where God wants you to be if sin is controlling your life. It, it, it just won't. Now look, you can leave here and say, you know, the man's a bigot, he's a homophobe, blah, blah, blah. That's okay. You get to make your choices in life. But I'm simply telling you, if you pursue a path of what the Bible calls sin, Amen. listen, for the sake of the world, I hope the Bible's not true. I'm having a great life. I've got one wife for 30-something years. I've got great kids. I have fun. I have peace at night. I sleep well. If the Bible's not true, you know, I've lived a good life. But if it is true, there's a lots of folks in the world that are in for a, can I say this, a hell of a lot of trouble. I mean, that's just, that's just how it comes to pass. There is, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. And I love you enough to tell you about it. Now, here's the, I don't have to tell you what your sins are. I know what mine are. How many know what your own sin struggles are with sin? Yeah. yeah, half of you do, half of you, you know, wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said. If I were to say, how many people here want Joe Cruz to take you to lunch today? Let me see your hand. See, see, even they wouldn't all raise their hand for that, Joe, so I don't know what we're going to... Well, anyway, let me give you three things that will help you when it comes to sin. How do you get over it? Now, I can tell you this, how you face the struggle. You may not ever get over it, but I can tell you how to live the struggle. Here's where it starts. The first thing is for you to get over those sins that control your life. It starts with desire. And it simply means that something that I used to do that I found pleasurable, I realize that it's displeasing to God, so I'm going to choose not to do it. Let me give you an example. There was a guy I knew a long time ago. A long time ago. He was a teenager. Uh, he used to look like me, like I did back then. He had big curly hair. He even wore the clothes and shoes that I would wear. And he had this, um, this, this problem in life. He used to like to smoke herb. And I'm not going to reveal his secrets because the sheriff is here today, but it was a long time ago. And his friends were kind of doing it, and, and he became a Christian. Now, he went to church, and every time you know you can go to church and not be a Christian. Amen. See, he went to church, but, you know, he just kind of acclimated that part of his life, and it all fit together. But now he's serving the Lord. The Lord, if I can say this direction, but he's kind of with his herb buddies going this way. And all of a sudden, he knows that it's wrong. He begins to get convicted. This guy told me he went to a Bible study and told people that it was because God created this herb, it had to be okay. I mean, this was not, uh, this was not you know, Jack Daniels. It was made, you know, in oak barrels in Tennessee. This was, that was wicked, but this was something God made. And the Bible even says, a smoking reed he shall not quench. So he even had a Bible verse misinterpreted. But in his heart of hearts, he heard the voice of God. And as he's walking this way, there's a voice calling over his shoulder. And one day he said, you know what? I would rather make you happy than me happy. Now look, he turned around. Now his friends are still trying to get him to do the Michael Jackson. But all of a sudden, you make a choice. Come on. And that's the second thing, a choice to get rid of it to throw it away. See, there's a lot of things that are in your willpower. As I'm speaking right now, the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, is speaking to scores of people in this room. Your next step may be to go to your car and break a CD in half. See, you're not going to get rid of it when the feeling comes. It starts with an action. Some of you need to cancel a cable program. You say, but it's a part of the package. If the package is pulling you down, cancel the package. Some of you need to get a filter on the Internet. Come on. Because the little naked folks are popping up and it's pulling you in a ditch. I'm telling you, you need to get the password. Go to afa, American Family dot net. Use theirs. You need to do something. You need to give your spouse or your best friend the password. Come on. I'm telling you, that's the second way you deal with sin. Some things are simply a choice and it is in your power to do it. And you just make the step and you get on with your life. But there's a third level of things. Listen, spiritual strongholds that you have tried for years to get over and hadn't. Come on, somebody be honest with me this morning. I I wish all of life was just as easy as just say no, but it's not. There are strongholds that you have battled, listen now, for years, for decades, all your life. A door was opened to you in your childhood. You laid hold of something that your father struggled with, your mother struggled with, and it has defined you. Let me say, those spiritual strongholds, friend, are what destroyed Mr. Sandusky, come on, in Pennsylvania. And the best lawyers in the world cannot help you. But here's what I tell you. Those areas of your life, you've got to agree with God that it's wrong. And here's the deal. You've got to get some help. Because you've got to get that thing out of the dark into the light couple scriptures here. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13. If we conceal our sins, we will not prosper. But you confess and forsake, you find mercy. Now, it doesn't tell us who to confess to. But yet, James tells us, in, t- he's talking about sickness, but then he goes on to say, confess your sins or faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So here in that scripture, we see that... A tr- listen, not everybody. You don't need to confess your sins on the microphone. You understand what I'm talking about. But there are trusted people, listen, godly people, that when you get that thing out of the dark, come on, you can, you can, you can get a handle on it. I mean, when I'm having struggles, and I have my struggles... I've got, a couple, I've got a couple spiritual men, fathers in the faith, and when I see them, they said, how are you doing? And I said, thank you for asking. Let me tell you what I'm struggling with. Would you put your hand on my, and would you take me by the hand and pray for me that I would not give in, come on, to the devil's attacks? So that's just telling you the first part of the message here. If you want to be the person God wants you to be, you have got to stop doing some things that are wrong because they will destroy your life. Come on, give the Lord a, a big hand. Go to, uh, go to Matthew 14, and don't you dare repeat about my friend in the herb, okay? I'll deny it. Uh, stick to the basics. There's some things you need to stop doing, but sticking to the basics. Now, this has to do with spiritual disciplines. I saw my family during um, Christmas in Mississippi, and I went by this dentist's office, and they had this sign out front, and here's what it said. Only brush and floss the teeth you want to keep. And everybody who hates the dentist says, yeah, only brush and floss the teeth you want to keep. Well, could we say it this way? Only read your Bible and pray if you want to be close to God. Come on, only do spiritual things. Only go to church if you want to hear the Word of God taught. Only go to church, come on, if you want to develop relationship with other believers. You know, so don't do these things if it's not important to you so these spiritual disciplines and I'm gonna just kinda go over this quickly I say continue doing these things but some of us need to start doing these things Now you know we say our mission statement at Church on the Rock is to connect people to God friends ministry and the world that's not just a cutesy saying here's here's the rhythms that's associated with that connecting people to God simply means that you spend time with God every day you have an appointment with God we call it a daily devotion Matthew fourteen, twenty three, Jesus had just fed twenty thousand people. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So here's the rhythm of Jesus' life. He spends time with his heavenly father, he ministers to people, he spends time with his heavenly father. Well how many know if that's what Jesus did, that rhythm, how many know we need it in our life as well? We need to, every day, open our Bibles. That's why in your bulletin day, there's a Bible guide encourages you to read a couple chapters a day. If you can't read two, at least read the New Testament. If you get off one day, pick it up the next day. But if you will read your Bible, you know, I do a lot of translations on the screen. I personally, in my daily read time now, I'm reading the ESV, the English Standard Version, the Study Bible. It's great, but I read from different Bibles every couple years just to kind of keep it fresh. But But reading your Bible, taking time to be with God, taking some time to pray and somehow to worship the Lord in that time together. Some of us are, are, I'm more of a Bible reader and then a prayer and then a worshiper. Some of you are worshipers. The first thing you want to do is you want to put the praise music on. Then you'll pray and then you'll read a little bit. But all that has to fit in our life. It's the rhythm. Now, it's like a spoke on a wheel. Would you imagine an axle? In an, in an old buggy, and that axle would turn the wheels. But how many of you know the wheel may be, you know, like say three foot in diameter, but the axle's right in the middle, but it was the spokes that connected the wheel to the axle. And that's what I'm talking about. These are spokes that create momentum. Connect to God every day. And Acts two, connect to friends by being involved in the local church. We call this fellowship. Now Acts two forty-one, after the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people have come to Christ. The first, the first thing that happened uh, after these believers uh, received Christ, verse 41, uh, they accepted what Peter uh, said, were baptized, and then they spent their time, listen, learning the apostles' teaching, the Bible, sharing with one another, caring for one another, having relationship, koinonia, fellowship, breaking bread, the Lord's Supper, and praying together. It was the rhythm of the early Christian church. The Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. Now, look, I am thrilled that you come to church on a Sunday. But listen, there's something more than that. And for some of us, this may be what you need to do in this year is to get involved in the life of the church. You know, to find a class, to find a group, to begin to serve the Lord, something to allow other people to be a part of your world. The Christian life was never intended to be alone. And listen, how many know, it's not just about us. It's about what we do for other people. So, just a little bit there, a spoke on a wheel. Here's the third one. Not only do we connect to God, connect to friends, but connect to ministry. Now, listen, by using our time, talent, and treasure to serve the Lord. We call this ministry. Now, Jesus did this. Matthew 4, verse 10. You remember the 40 day temptation? Satan is there to try to get the best of Jesus. After the third one, verse 10, Jesus' refusal was curt. Now, this is the message Bible. He said, Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quote from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only Him. And listen, serve Him with absolute single-heartedness. Now, how many know sometimes the best way to deal with the devil, really all the time, is not to have a conversation, but it's the way you deal with a telemarketer during dinner time? Now, look, God bless people that are trying to make money, but look, don't call in me when I'm at home and I'm tired. Call me on another time if you want to talk to me. And here's, here's what I found out. The more you talk to the telemarketer, I don't care how polite you are, the more they're going to talk back to you. And I'm telling you, and if you work there, I'm sorry, but if you call me when I'm having dinner, I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to, you know, cuss you or anything like that. I'm just simply going to say, God bless you and have a good day. I'm not interested and hang up the phone. That's what you need to do on the devil. That's what Jesus did. But notice what he did is he, he said, serve the Lord with absolute single-heartedness. And can I suggest to you, this is a rhythm that needs to be a part of our life. That we're using our time, our talent, and our treasure, our money, our resources to advance the kingdom of God. And if you will begin to do that, my friend, your Christian life will take on a whole other dimension. I mean, no, my life is not just about me and for me. It's about serving Christ the King. That's the third rhythm. And the fourth one, quickly, is this. It is to connect with the world by sharing our faith and doing missions work. Now, we call this witnessing. Acts one eight, Scripture says, Jesus told us, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my... Yeah, witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And he goes on to say in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here was the, early, the life of the Christian church. It's our purpose is sharing our faith with other people. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And here's the promise I make to you. If you want to become the kind of person God wants you to be, the rhythm of your life needs to be you connect with God each day and throughout the day in time with Him. You connect with friends. You have Christian friends and fellowship. You know, people that watch out for you. People that will love you. Love you enough to tell you the truth. To correct you. To confront you. To hold you accountable. Come on to pick you up when you fall down. You connect to friends. You connect to ministry by finding a place to serve the Lord. Whether it's going to the to the jails, whether it's going to the homeless shelter, whether it's being a greeter in church, whether it's working in a nursery, but it's something to serve the Lord with what you've got going. And when you will share your faith with people, there's a rhythm that will take place. The spokes are in place to move your car on down the road. And how many know that's what life is all about, continuing to do the right things. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand. Go to 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to close with this. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Now, here's the third one. And and, and this is probably the, the most important one for Christians. Again, if you want to be the person God wants you to be, there's some things I've got to stop doing, some things to continue doing, but here's this last one. There is something that I need to start doing, and that is what I'm going to call the right thing. And that's not plural. The right thing is simply this, living with eternity in mind. Let me say it again, living with eternity in mind. Most people think too short term. Most people are thinking about this, what are you going to do tonight? Uh, what's going on at work this week? Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Uh, what are we what are you going to do on vacation this summer? Uh, what day are you going to graduate from college? Now, all those things, nothing wrong with them. Some of us have forethought and we think ahead 10 years, 20 years down the road, retirement, whatever the case may be. Again, nothing wrong with that. But that's not far enough. You know where you need to be thinking and looking every day? It's that day that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ for the first time. See, sometimes we talk about going to heaven. It's kind of like nobody wants to be dead and forever. I mean, everybody wants to live. But you're going to see God face to face. And here's the deal. God has a life for you to live. He's got something for you to do with your life. And when he looks at you for the first time face to face, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your time, your talent, your treasures? See, it's not just about me for me. The parable of the talents tell us that. And some people will say on that day, you gave me five, I gave you five back. A Tim Tebow, Lord, you gave me an athletic ability. I, listen, I sponsored charitable works in the Philippines with some of my money, but every chance I get, I gave you glory. And the whole world was talking about Jesus. Come on now, because of my witness. The whole ESPN, tough guy sports world. What did you do? Two talent man, I used my two. But then in that parable, someone received one talent and they buried it in the ground. So this is what I ask you today as you go into this new year. Are you going to bury it in the ground? Come on. Are you going to live for eternity? Because one day you're going to stand before God. You know, one day, my friend, you're going to leave this earth. Let me read this scripture to you. Now, this this is worth listening to. If you don't hear anything else, if you've been thinking about lunch, turn me on for just about three minutes. All right? Live on purpose and try to seek to finish strong. Let me say it again. Live with purpose in your life and strive to finish your Christian life strong. Here's what I want to ask you, two questions. What are you going to do in 2012 that will last for eternity? Now, I'm going to do a lot of things. Hopefully, I can, you know, finish landscaping my my yard. Guess what? That is not going to last for eternity. I hope sometimes between now and the end of January that I can find a spot to go and enjoy duck hunting. Well, guess what? That will not last for eternity. If I take somebody to the duck blind and play with them or lead them to the Christ, that'll be great. But just simply that activity will not last for eternity. So, it's worth asking yourself the question, what about my life matters? Here's another big one. How many people will go to heaven because of me? How many people this year will go to heaven because of my life? Now, read this scripture with me. Second Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul the apostle said these words. He said, the time of my death is near." Now, I know that everybody in this room is going to die, but you and i but 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 having said that, okay that was a joke that's not a joke this past year, I, I did a lot of funerals, and not one person told me in 49 days I'm going to die and and here's what I want you to sing at my funeral and uh and and, and, and this is where I'm going to be buried not one now pre-planning is a good thing, but I'm telling you nobody came to me this year, but I did a lot of funerals. Every day it's going to happen. Listen, something Paul said, the time of my death is near. Now listen to what he said, how he lived his life. I fought the good fight. Which simply means life is hard sometimes. It's hard being a Christian. There's opposition, there's trouble, but I fought it. I have finished the race. Here's the phrase again. I finished strong. And I have remained what? That's the question. Which basically he's saying, I didn't give up. I didn't quit. When I got off the wrong path, I got back on the right path as quick as I could. I mean, none of us are perfect. All of us are going to fall and stumble and get off base. But yet God wants us to get back on. I remain faithful. And now look at verse 8. This is incredible. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of His return. But listen, the prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. You know who that is? (laughs) That's us. And Paul is saying basically, you've got a race like I do. One day your life is going to be over. Jesus has given you a job to do, there's opportunities before you. If you will be faithful, if you will finish strong, one day, come on, there's a crown that God's going to give to you. So the question, friend, is not how I start the Christian life, it's how I end. And my friend, two twenty twelve is working towards the end of your life. And my question for you is, will you be backslidden? Will you be apathetic? Will you put off until tomorrow what you should do today? Will you still let your life be determined by worry and fear and selfishness and everything else down the list? Or will you set your mark on the prize of the high calling? I was talking to one of our elders the other day, and Brother Larry and he and I were talking about Brother Fred Harris. If you know Fred, he's an elder in our church. He was here last night. And uh, Fred is staring 80 years of age in the face. He's still a pretty spry guy. Uh, He'll climb ladders to cut limbs off trees unless his wife is around and then he can't do it. But, But more than just spry cutting trees, that man is on fire for God. I went to his life group this year and the house was filled with people. And it wasn't just people. I mean, listen, those people being loved and cared for. Here's a man that any time you give him an opportunity, he'll open the Bible, he'll talk to you, he'll pray for you, he'll love you. But you know what? One day he's going to step into eternity. But he is finishing strong. Come on. And I want to end up like that. I I, I don't want to. I don't want at my funeral people to have to say, well, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I do these all the time. What was his spiritual life like? Well, when he was 14, he went down to the altar. I, I think you've sold yourself short. I want to be, listen, we, 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 we don't have three hours for the service today. I know more people want to talk about, you know, Joe or Tom or Sue or Bill or John's life, how he affected you for Christ, but we don't have time for everybody. It's three o'clock, you know, we've been here three hours and we've got to go to the graveside. Come on. That's the way I want to live my life. How about you? I want to finish strong. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to close with this. Has anyone seen the movie Secretariat? Oh, man. I saw it the other day, and I was so moved by it, I watched it three times. I mean, it's just a true story, and it's about a, a racehorse. And I don't know much about horse racing. Uh, I don't know much about You know, when I heard somebody say, it's about a horse, and I said, oh, I, I've seen Flicka, and I've seen Black Beauty, and it, it's not that kind of horse. And it's a story of a family. It's a true story. It's back in the early 70s. And this horse, of course, dad, uh, you know, for generations, you know, I guess, they had raised horses and, you know, it was a multimillion-dollar operation and and mom died and, and, you know, dad is dying and and they're going to lose the farm because of inheritance taxes and all that. And all their hope is caught up in this horse. And this woman who's married now and she's away from it, she's a housewife, but she still had it in her blood. And this little horse was born called Secretariat. And uh, he, 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 they began to train him, and, and he ran his first race, you know, and he lost, and they were mad. But all of a sudden, they got it in gear, and he began to win. And this horse was kind of interesting, and this is where maybe you'll see some parallels. When he would start, they said he would be leaning against the back of the gate. And every other horse would get out in front of him. And then he would begin to catch him from the rear. And from the rear, the jockey is just getting you know, dirt all over him. And, and, and it's like, think about it. He's at the end of the race. He's not doing very good. He's getting dirty. It's like we get sin, gets on us and all that. But before you know it, he bolts out of the head of the pack and he begins to win. And now he's the horse of the year. But they need six million dollars, see, to pay off all the taxes. And somebody offers to buy the horse. And she said, no, I'm going to. Well, anyway, but they're making an investments in it. But if he doesn't win the triple crown, they lose everything. The farm, everything. It's all downhill. And, of course, her brother, you know, the smart one. And her husband says, no, you just need to sell the horse. And she said, no, dad raised me to win. And, and, and so here they're running, and the first race of the Triple Crown, what's it called, the uh, Kentucky Derby, true to form. He starts out at the rear, last one out of the gate, but he comes out and he beats all the other horses, you know, like by six steps. The jockey covered with dirt and mud, but they're a winner. Well, then they run the second, I think it's the Preakness, and same thing happens, horse starts out in the rear of the pack and, and at some point he kicks in gear and, and he wins again, now he's won two of the three big races. But here's the last one, I think it's called the Belmont Stakes. Well lo and behold, the last race is the longest race yet. And between the second and third race, do you think about this, the trainer has this look on his face like, I don't know how to train this horse, I've got to make a decision. See, because horses were, 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 were bred, some for speed and some for endurance. This race was a mile and a half, the longest race the horse had ever run. And the fear was the jockey would push the horse too hard and the horse could have a heart attack and die and it would all be over. And he said, the trainer is saying, I don't know how to train this horse. Do I give him rest between the second and third race or do I push him harder so he'll finish this race? And think about your life. Well, here we go with the third race. Everything is on the line. This time, the horse looks over at the other horses. When the bell rings, he's the first one out of the gate. And he begins to run. And the owner looks over at the trainer and says, Well, his pattern is to start to the, be the last and then come. Why is he out front? I trained him that way. How are you coming out of the gate are you training for the mile and a half prize? Are you just, I'm going to the movies today and, you know, I, I'm going to go and to the mall and I'm going to go hang out? Or is there a prize? Are you going to just work 60 hours just to make money? Because at some point, listen, everybody's got to have money for basic needs. You need money to enjoy. But at some point, it's all going to just be gone. I don't care if you drive a Chevy or if you drive a, if you drive a Rolls Royce, at some point it's over and gone. So this last race, he's in the lead. Now here's the strategy of the other horse he's competing against. The other horse's owner said, our horse is bred for endurance, this one's for speed so what we're gonna do is we're gonna make him go fast and we're gonna wear him out, see. So out of the gate and I want you to get up next to him and just tease him and just say, come on Ronnie, go a little faster. Well, Secretariat wouldn't let the other horse. The faster he would go, the faster Secretariat would go. It's almost like in our life, the more challenging my life is, the more I press into God. The more difficulty I face, the more deliberate I am in my Christian life. When I face walls and barriers that are, that are stopping me, I fast, I pray, I seek God. I don't fall off by the wayside. And then they got about I think it was like halfway around the track and then all of a sudden it's like this horse just bumped in another gear. Come on, you that drive standard. It's like he just hit the clutch and, and off he began to run and you can just see it. He's ahead one length, two, three, four, six, seven, eight. And then all of a sudden the competitors owner's going, This is impossible And now he's at eleven and then it's at that crucial moment, they're in the last turn and and the cameras looking around the turn because all movie long you're wondering can this horse make it is he gonna die before he gets to the end and lo and behold he comes around that final turn and he is just sailing galloping through the air and the and 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 they got this song playing about you know I forget what it was but it even had Jesus in it and I mean he is moving and I'm crying like a little kid and, and 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 that horse is just going around and all of a sudden that horse is just moving 11 15 20 25, 26, and he wins 31 lengths ahead of any other horse. Come on, 1973. They said he's never met that record has never been met to this day. No other horse that fast. No other horse has won by that much. Now listen, they did it for some flowers and a silver bowl. Come on, that will not last. We run our race for an incorruptible crown. Come on, that will last for all eternity. So, my my question to you this morning: What kind of race are you running in 2012? Are you satisfied to be at the back of the pack? Are you going to be like Secretariat's jockey? Come on, when that race was over, he didn't have a speck of dirt on him. Come on, he was crystal clean. Come on, because he stayed out front. And I want to encourage you this year, be someone that sets your eye on the prize of the high calling of God Christ. in Christ. Run your race to win. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Give me five minutes and let's close in prayer. And I realize I'm just a little long. I apologize. What, what What kind of 2012 are you going to have? Bigger question. What changes is God asking you to make to become the person He wants you to be? Stay with me now. For you to be what God wants you to be. For many of us here, there's some things that we're doing wrong that we need to stop. There's some weights in our life that if we can't bring them under the kingdom, we need to get rid of them. There's some sins that Satan's trying to trip us up and destroy us. There's weights in their sin. sins. For others, we need to continue doing the right thing. But yet for many, we need to start. We need to start our daily time with God. We need to make a commitment to begin to be involved in the fellowship of believers. We need to serve the Lord deliberately with our time, treasure, and talent. We need to share our faith. We need to do missions together. We need to do these continually. But for all of us, I dare say, as we start 2012, we need to live with a higher focus. Not just living for the Super Bowl, living for the next paycheck, living for tomorrow. Go Living with eternity in mind. And my friend, if you will adopt that simple formula, I believe you're well on the way, come on, to becoming the person that God wants you to be. Give Jesus a hand to Him. Belongs the glory. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning and you simply are resonating with what we're saying today, that you want to offer yourself to God and say, Lord, I want to change. Whatever you put your finger on, give me the grace to change to be the person you want me to be. If that's in your heart, I just want to ask you to stand right where you are. You don't have to come up here, you don't have to tell about anything to anybody but if you simply by your standing saying Lord I want to give you my life and I want to change and become the person that you want me to be thank you God we're just going to close our eyes a moment many of us are continuing to stand and just simply saying yes to God whatever that means yes Lord to you yes yes to getting rid of some stuff yes to continuing to do the right thing Yes, to the main thing, to living for eternity. So, Lord, I ask you for myself and all my friends this morning that we would run with purpose and that we would finish our race strong. And that in 2012, we'd be well on our way to becoming the person God would have us to be. In Jesus' name. Let me have one last prayer. I want to ask everyone to stand, if you're not yet standing. If you're here this morning... Let me tell you about the starting place of the Christian life. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I mean, you know, coming to church is not what does it. I was raised in church all my life, but August fifteenth, nineteen 1976 was a moment of my life when I genuinely submitted my life to Christ. When I surrendered my life to Christ and said, Lord Jesus, I want you, I want to follow you. I look to, if I can say, to the cross and realize that my sins had placed Jesus there. But Jesus would save me. He took the penalty for my sins. I agreed with God that I had things in my life that were wrong and I asked for God's forgiveness. But as important as my asking God forgiveness, I committed my life to follow Him. So I wonder if that's you today, if on this first Sunday of the new year, a defining moment in your life where you want to say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. For some, it may be the first time you've ever made this step. For others, you've made it before, but life has just pulled you aside. And today, you want to put your trust afresh in Christ. You want to ask God to forgive you and give you a brand new start in life. But this is your defining moment. The bell begins today. The gate opens for you when you submit your life to Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. Won't you just lift your hand. Do it quickly, boldly and unashamedly. God bless you, dear. Come on, give her a big hand. God bless you, too. Others today. God bless you, sir. Others this morning. God bless you. and God bless you in the back. Others today. I want to, I want to commit my life to Christ. God bless you. Come on, I want to commit my life to Christ. Anyone else this morning? I want to commit my life to Christ. God bless you, too, dear. Give her a big hand. I, I'll wait one last moment because, listen, I don't want a thing from you. I'm not inviting you to join the church. You can do it if you want to one day. But I'm just you right now. Do you need to get right with God? Do you need to put your your life in the hands of God? And you say, well, why why is this such a public thing? Because... Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. I just know that in this environment, if I can't, whatever, it's pride or whatever or fear, if I can't get beyond it here, I will not get beyond it at work tomorrow. I will not get beyond it when my friends are surrounding me. But my first step to Christ... Let me ask one more time. If you're here and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I want to get right with God. Anyone else lift your hand this morning and say, pray for me. It's me you've waited this last moment for. All right. Praise the Lord. God bless you, dear. God bless you. God bless you. All right, listen. You that lifted your hand, here's how we're going to close. Our prayer team is going to come forwards. If you need prayer for anything, we'll pray for you but particularly you that lifted your hand, I want to invite you to come. Let us pray with you and let us give you something. I've got a a book by a friend, Dr. David Shibley, that will help you walk you through the basics to help you get going in Christian life. Come on, we're going to sing it through one time. Our prayer team is coming. You that lifted your hand, come on, let us pray for you. Give them one more big hand as they come. And you that need prayer for anything, you come and let us pray for you. Come on, our prayer team is coming down to the front. They'll pray with you. Anything else? Need to talk to somebody? They'll pray with you. You need prayer, let us pray with you. Come let us worship one time, and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for staying a little long today. This is the end.